what we want to do in the future of Nux is making it simpler so you don't need to hire a DevOps to configure a cache on top of your server target. Hello, welcome to the first episode of JavaScript Jam. I'm Ishan Anand, the CTO at MoveWeb, and with me is my co-host, Mark Bricado, our VP of Engineering. Yeah. Uh, today we are launching with a fantastic guest. Uh, it is Sebastian Chopin. Hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. He is the CTO of Nuxt.js, the meta framework built on Vue. Sebastian, why don't you say hello? Hello, everyone. Like Ishan said, I'm Sebastian Chopin, uh, co-founder of Nuxt, which is a framework to build web application. Great. Oh, well, thanks for being here. Why don't we start with just the, the background and history of Nuxt, um, and then maybe what makes Nuxt different from, from other frameworks folks might have heard about. Yeah. So I started creating Nuxt with uh, my browser, Alexander Chopin. Uh, late uh, 2016. Uh, before this, I've been working a lot with uh, JavaScript and Node.js, and I used to, to do server-side rendering with the Phantom.js back then. And one day I read the article by Guillermo uh, about Next.js. I was currently working on this uh, manual server-side rendering with Vue on my e-commerce website. And after reading this article, I just uh, became found found of this concept of pages and give myself a challenge to do the same as next for view. And that's how the name came like react. Uh, next is for react and next is for view. Yeah. So let's, let's just pause for background for, for some folks. Uh, so Next.js is a server side rendering framework uh, that's built on react and you saw what they were doing in you were working with Vue and want to do the same thing. You mentioned as well that you're using PhantomJS for server-side rendering in the past. So that's isn't that the one that that runs a, a headless browser? You know, yeah. full-on browser. So that's a much slower process than it is. what you're doing today. Um, it was uh, back then when uh, the virtual DOM uh, yeah. was not made by this uh, front-end framework. And obviously, React and Vue, by having this virtual DOM, made it much more uh, better to do server-side rendering with more efficiency. Yeah, um, I'm curious. You know, the the it's almost a religious war in in front-end framework land between Vue and and React. What got you into Vue over React? Anything in particular, or is that just what you happen to pick up? Um, I have a strong PHP background. I studied mm -hmm. PHP uh, when I was 14 years old. And I love the basics of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And I've been doing a lot of backbone JS and jQuery. And the normal way was for me to do React. Uh, so when I was looking at the next framework I was going to use, um, Alex told me, my brother, uh, about Vue.js. And I remember starting to read the docs. And I found it so uh, so beautiful, so simple. So I read the whole documentation in one night, and I never turned back. And I'm I'm pretty happy to 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 keep using Vue. Yeah, Vue. What I you know consistently hear Vue is is also just easier to pick up, and it makes a lot more of those decisions for you 
Whereas React, you have this, you know, paradox of choice. There's so many different things you could use. Like, do I use Redux or something else for state management? And Vue makes all those decisions for you. And I guess what you're doing with Nuxt is adding on to that with a little more decisions around, you know, pages and, and server-side rendering. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Vue already gives you a set of libraries to create web applications. So talking about Vue Router, Vuex for state management. So you don't have to struggle finding the best uh, routing library for Vue. They are official as one. But even when you uh, want to write a big application, it can take some time to configure the routing as well as uh, the store management. And if you want to add SSR, it will add you more days. Mm -hmm. And one thing which is pretty hard also is to find the best directory structure and Next actually gives you a strong directory structure. So when you jump from a Next project to another one, you can uh, get ready in a matter of minutes because you already uh, you are familiar with this structure. Hmm. So uh, besides server-side rendering and the the page file-based routing, is there anything else you would highlight that Nux gives you? Uh, on top of vanilla view that you think is a, is a big benefit for developers? Yeah, so we actually include a few router, the server-side rendering, yeah. uh, Vuex, which is optional if you create the store directory. Mm -hmm. On top of that, we also include ViewMeta that we maintain that allows you to uh, specify the head uh, or the headers for the SEO, so the title, meta description, etc. And of course, we also added a lot of performances improvement that is shipped by default. So thinking about the, all the link preload for the JavaScript files, we also have the code splitting. We have this uh, link prefetching. So when you have a link uh, pointing to another page and it goes into the user viewport, we will automatically prefetch the next uh, JavaScript chunk. So the performances is a huge, um, feature of Next, and the second one is developer experience. So we made sure that you have simple comments to run, and you can start really simple, and then um, you can make your Next application uh, bigger by adding modules. So we have uh, more than 150 modules that you can add. Uh, some of them are for CMS integration, other are for um, uh, tooling, as well as we have a ESLint module. So we have a strong core, minimal, and you can grow um, your application with the next module ecosystem. So uh, performance and, and flexibility in terms of what you can expand on top of as a, as a foundation. So, um, you know, I know uh, you've been working on support for serverless with with Nux, and I know Mark, you've been drilling into that. Um, you know, maybe first start out with just telling us what the previous support for serverless was, and you know what you're working on improving. Yeah, so Next One and Next Two had no intent to work on serverless. Uh, because serverless is really, really tricky, uh, you have a minimum size and as you work on the uh, application doing server-side rendering, you may have to use some node module and this can get quite heavy. And also serverless can have some issues when it's about the cold start. Mm -hmm. So 
this was not our priority uh, until a few months ago. So we started to work on a, the new engine for Next3, which is fully uh, serverless capable, as well as supporting server-side rendering inside the worker, your uh, navigator. So for this, we had to rework the whole engine of Next, and we decided to call this project Nitro. And at the end, we also backported it to Next2 as a module. So this is um, tested internally and will be released in the following months. And we are really, really happy about the performances gain you can have. That's great. Um, uh, you said it's going to be released in the next few months. Is there any, any more precise, uh, you know, are we looking at sometime in, you know, one or two months from now, or could you get more precise into when our- uh, Say next month. Next month. It's a Vue.js Amsterdam conference. Yeah. We're going to demonstrate uh, the serverless capabilities as well as the next three uh, demo. And of course it includes Nitro. So this is packed into the demo next month. Okay, that's that's exciting. I'll, we're looking forward to that. Uh, we're looking forward to the, the Vue.js conference as well. Um, so, you know, next Next.js separates each page into you know a separate serverless function. Um, is that how you went, or you know how did you guys you know split up? Is there you know separate pages have separate serverless functions, or you know is everything combined into a single function? And and what's the right approach you think between well everything in one function versus separate ones for each page? Is there a right so that, choice? That's a good question and a tricky question. We went uh, for only one serverless function. Since we do have code splitting on the client side, we also have code splitting on the server side, which means that uh, the, the advantage of, of having one serverless function, which is what Nitro is generating, um, allows you to have this uh, call start only once. So whatever the page you're hitting, um, if you already hit one of the page, the second one will be much faster to render because this serverless function to render any page is already warm. And then we would just lazy load the, the chunk, which is also fast. Mm. And we have been discussing with the Next.js team and understanding why they decided to separate uh, the serverless function. And they told us that they actually going to the same uh, decision to us of having one wow. serverless function. And I do believe that maybe their routing system was not uh, made for having code splitting on the server side. I, I can't say much. I think Tim would be able to answer this question for the next. That's really interesting. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree with that um, idea of, the, of minimizing the cold start time. Um, unless you've got just so many pages to where you know every page is maybe one one hundredth of the total bundle size then it, it really does make sense. I think for the majority of like, you know, B2C applications, e-commerce applications, that, that totally makes sense. There's another benefit that, that we see too, which is if you only generate one function, then you only have to provision, like let's say you're using AWS, you only have to provision one Lambda per deployment. Exactly. And so it makes it easier if you've got one of these systems like MoveWebXDN or Netlify or Vercel, where every deployment is kind of permanently accessible with a permanent permalink, then it makes it a lot easier to have a lot of those 
simultaneously and you can go back and forth between commits. You can bisect your code for when things go wrong or uh, when performance started to degrade. So that's that's really awesome that you guys went that way. And it's, it's good to hear that, that Next agrees. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the way to go for, for serverless. Very cool. Okay, well, let, I want to move on to another topic, which is static sites. Um, you know, we work a lot in e-commerce and some e-commerce customers have like five products and then some like auto parts dealers, every nut and every bolt is a separate product. And so they have, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And so for the small sites, it's, it's pretty reasonable to expect to be able to just generate the whole thing statically. Um, and everybody knows the benefits of, of Jamstack. Um, all that stuff can go out to the CDN. There's very low risk of things going down at runtime. Um, but if you are running a store that's 100,000 URLs, some of which never get seen in a day, um, and you have to build all of that at deployment time, that can be quite onerous and maybe not even possible depending on how fast your infrastructure is. So we see Jamstack and static sites as this like gradient from static to dynamic. Um, and, and so I know that Next.js supports a few different three-letter acronyms to support this kind of gradient of static to dynamic. Uh, incrementic static, incremental static generation, ISG, ISR, which is incrementic static regeneration. So basically uh, something that's generated statically could become stale and then get regenerated later um, and then stale while revalidate. Um, and so uh, I, I don't think that Nuxt has all of those things at least quite yet. Do you have any takes on uh, ISG, ISR? And is there a lot of push in the Nuxt community for, for those features? So that's uh, an interesting question. Um, what do we have today with Next is two modes, um, two targets. The first one is server. So this is aimed to be used on a Node.js server on production. Uh, think about any hosting uh, server platform for, for Node. And every time you hit a page, you will have server-side rendering. So this can be pretty slow uh, if you have some uh, asynchronous call that can take some time. And we have the static target, which will uh, generate your, your website as a full static website. So you can think uh, it as a Jamstack. So you can host on any static hosting. So thinking of GitHub page, Netlify, search. Um, and of course, these two targets depends of what you want to build. Um, blog, portfolio, uh, even website having uh, 200 pages can use the static. And that also leads to uh, offline capabilities because the whole website is exported to a directory that can be uh, offline capable when you add the PWA module. Regarding the server and these target more the e-commerce uh, website or website that change uh, frequently where it would take too much time to regenerate every time. And that's where we, we talk about this hybrid solution that uh, Next.js provides on top of Vercel, which is, from my point of view at the moment, the target, uh, the server target with a caching layer on top of it. Uh, I've seen um, one, one big company in France using the target server and adding a varnish cache on top of this. And he kind of doing the same 
of having this incremental uh, static generation, let's call it that way, uh, or state where we validate. You can already do this if you have, of course, the DevOps team uh, being able to add a caching layer on top of your Next server. What we want to do in the future of Next is making it simpler so you don't need to hire a DevOps to configure a cache on top of your server target. That's really cool. Um, I, I wanted to show a little bit of the work that my team did recently around this. So we first put in support into the MoveWebXDN for Next.js and that, the full spec, like a lot of what we just talked about, ISG, ISR is the API is in Next, but the actual implementation is Vercel. Like you can't just do that on your own, at least not easily without recreating a lot of things that aren't actually in the framework. So we had to do that work on, on the MoveWebXDN. Um, and in doing that, we basically got support for a very similar type of functionality on Nuxt for free. So I wanted to show that here, which I think is really cool. Uh, let me share my screen. So we have a little example store here. Um, if I go, uh, it basically has a homepage and has three categories. So it's meant to be like a, a clothing store. So if I go to shoes here, um, you can navigate to the list of products and then you can navigate down to an individual uh, shoe. So all of these, at least on this page, have been uh, pre-generated uh, during the build process. So basically using the static target. Um, and so imagine a store that has just like an infinite amount of products and you, it's impractical to generate all that at build time. So um, if you just do server-side rendering with a cache in front of it, the first unlucky person to see any product might have some wait time. Um, yeah. And so with... Um, with Next.js, what actually happens there is that it will display, if, if, the, if the page hasn't been statically generated already, it'll display a loading screen. So the user gets something, probably a skeleton, like immediately, because that's stored in static storage like S3. And then behind the scenes, the app will make a data request via the API to get the data to render the page fully. So it still gives this very responsive experience um, uh, with the benefit of server-side rendering for all the subsequent users. So if somebody comes in as the second person to view that page, uh, they won't see the loading screen anymore. They'll just see the, the fully rendered page. And so I know that isn't like actually a part of the spec for Nuxt, but we were able to implement that using the exact same logic on the XDN. So I'll show uh, a little bit about that now. So if I refresh this page, um, you'll see it just loads uh, this uh, shoes page here. So very quick, it's server-side rendered. If I go to some um, random uh, ID here, the first time I hit it, it's going to give me a, a quick loading screen and then actually render uh, the page here. So you'll see here, the loading screen comes up, it's spun a little bit, and then it showed the full product. So you still get that very kind of responsive experience. But then if I let's open up an incognito window here. If I'm like the second user coming in uh, and I hit this product, then I'll see it's an immediate uh, server-side rendered response. Um, and so basically behind the scenes, what happens is the move of XDN figures out is the response in the cache. If it's not, send back the loading screen and then run a process behind the scenes to go statically generate that page and put it in the cache so that the next user gets it. So I thought that was really cool because there's this like synergy between these two frameworks that even in the advanced features, they're kind of converging on the same really nice 
very fast user experience. That is a, a beautiful demo. Uh, I'm really happy to see that uh, you guys implemented this uh, incremental static generation. We, we do have this, uh, what's called the SPA fallback. When you actually call next generate, it will generate this this directory with all the pages and every dynamic route that got not generated but could exist later on in the future, uh, we simply render a single page application only on client side. So it would mm -hmm. still work. And you guys push it even further by being able to render the server-side version after the first load. That's pretty impressive. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, we like that a lot. So I wanted to ask a little bit about the approach for generating the static bits of the site. In Next.js, you implement this method called get static paths. Uh, and then to actually provide the data for each page, you implement get static props, which is very much like get server-side props. It's just a different part of the lifecycle. happens at build time instead of runtime. Nux took a different approach, which is almost magical. Uh, can you tell us about that and, and why you chose that different approach? Yeah, uh, I didn't want to add an, another function um, because we already have two targets, which is server versus static. And from my point of view, when you or into the static target. So I'm talking about next two, not next three, which might be different for that. Uh, when you want to do data fetching in next, you use a method called async data and you can fetch any, any data. So this is a view hook, which is asynchronous and will get merged with your data method. When you inside a, a server target, when you will navigate on client side, it will call this async data. When you refresh the page, it will call this async data on server side to the hydration. What I wanted to have is people using the static target. So they want a full static website. We will actually render all the pages. So when you call next generate first, we render all the pages uh, we know, the static pages. So your home page, maybe your about page. And every time we render a page, we will actually follow all the next link. So next link is a component you use to navigate on client side between your pages and on server side, you will transform as a normal link tag. And we will follow every link to render the next pages. So you don't have to specify the routes you need to generate because next will automatically uh, crawl, crawl them like Google would do on your website. And on top of that, every page every payload, so the result of the async data will be uh, transformed into a file called payload.js. And on client-side navigation, we will automatically uh, fetch this file instead of, of coding the async data. So you can turn off your CMS, you can keep it only for development and when you call next generate. And once you deploy your website, uh, it is fully offline and it won't call it anymore your CMS. And it is offline capable as well. So we decided to go that route so you can switch the target and have two behavior, uh, two different behavior without changing your code. That's really awesome. And you know, perhaps I, I came to this backwards because I learned how to do this static site generation on Next first. And the interface seems reasonable, it's easy to learn with the implementing those two methods. And then seeing how Nux did it, it was like, why doesn't everybody just do it this way? This is awesome, there's no configuration. Um, and and I, one thing I think you didn't mention is that like even if you don't have a link to a page, you can still in your Nux config yeah. tell it where other routes are that aren't linked to. So even if it's something you can't crawl to, 
you can still get that as part of the static site. Yeah, exactly. Very yeah, cool. I like how you've taken one less thing a developer has to worry about. Just, you know, you're already generating it. Let's just crawl it at the same time. Yeah, because most of the time we all use a link to, to, to display the next pages. So why not do the same as Google? That's really inspired. Uh, you, you've mentioned, you know, you've mentioned Next, you were inspired by them. And, uh, you know, we often have been talking in this, this uh, you know, podcast about Next and, and Next does it this way, Nux does it that way. Um, I'm curious, just the level of interaction you guys have with each other. Clearly, like, you guys seem to influence each other, but you guys do, it seems like, you know, talk regularly. Is that the case? Uh, no, we do not. I, okay. I do talk with the Vercel team, uh, yep. mostly to integrate uh, Next to Vercel better. Uh, uh, we don't necessarily talk uh, that much. We met at conferences, we talk there, but uh, I do believe we're really busy uh, on, on answering the issues on the framework. React is, and Vue are quite uh, different, yeah. so we do not share the same issues, but we do share the same uh, ideas. So. I, I do believe we inspire each other. For, mm -hmm. for instance, we were uh, when we released Next, we already had the static generation included. Then Next added the uh, static generation later on, and they added uh, some features that we added too. Like we just see inspiration everywhere, and of yeah. course, Next is a nice inspiration too for us. And I guess we also an inspiration for them. So we we don't necessarily have to talk but yeah. we read uh, some of the issues because we share uh, some some similar issues too yeah and i can imagine <laughs> there are people like saying hey nox has this next can you do this yeah. like even if you never talked i'm sure there's plenty of developers you know asking for hey they give us the equivalent can we get that yeah here? it's like we're talking without talking directly to each other so Interesting. I feel like I'm collaborating with them. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about maybe some stuff that's on the horizon. Um, Vue three is is on the horizon. You guys are built on top of Vue. Um, you know, one of the interesting things around Vue three is some performance optimizations around you know automatically figuring out hydration and and what does and doesn't need to be hydrated. Have you guys been following that? And if so, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And maybe also explain it to the listener. That is really advanced. Uh, of course, Evan did an amazing work on Vue 3. Yeah. And I think the biggest uh, work uh, I've seen on this is uh, the improvement you have done on the uh, compiler. So as you know, on, on React, you have a render function and you uh, you give your JSX template. Um, in Vue, you, you can do this, but the recommended way is to use a template. Mm -hmm. And some people can think that the templating uh, is less performant than a render function. But uh, on my point of view, this is uh, quite wrong because the Vue compiler is really smart and the Vue 3 compiler is even smarter to figure it out what uh, nodes are static so it can automatically cache them. So keeping only the dynamic part, and this is the same for the hydration process. So it can directly avoid hydrating this part. And this is what, what it is pushing even further with the 
uh, fit WhitePress mm -hmm. and is including into Vue 3 is to also uh, detect this static part based on some data and is working on the ability to specify even if you're getting some data from your CMS and you know you're just displaying text and there is no interactivity on this part, being able to say, okay, this is purely static, you can skip the hydration process on this. And this will definitely uh, reduce the payload as well as improving the first time to interact. Yeah, so this maybe you're reminding me when you said it's an advanced topic. We we wrestle with it a lot, so it, it often comes as first nature and we forget. But maybe for the listener, you know, the, the key thing is, um, especially if you don't come from a, a Vue or React background, when these frameworks are constructing your entire DOM and the, you know, the HTML, they need to bind events to it and keep track of everything in the virtual version of it, the, the shadow, well, I don't wanna say shadow DOM because that's a separate thing, but their own vir virtual copy of the DOM. And they have to rebuild that even if we send a fully server-side rendered page down. Um, and with, you know, Core Web Vitals coming down in, in the next few months, uh, that really will impact your load time as that JavaScript runs and rebuilds that DOM. And Google potentially could be penalizing your site if it's taking too long to do that. And so, you know, what you're describing with Vue 3 uh, is really exciting to us because that time the JavaScript is taking is going to slow down your site and we've wrestled with uh, trying to optimize that as best as possible. And we've worked actually in React kind of manually telling it, don't bother hydrating this or wait until later, lazy hydrate. Um, and, and Mark has some of the scars from that. Uh, but what view three, it sounds like is gonna do is, is gonna just automatically figure out, here are the things that never change. And then I don't even have to bother, you know, hydrating that, which could be a huge, huge win because, you know, a lot of our customers are in e-commerce. They've got some very interactive parts of the page and then some parts that aren't interactive at all. And so there's a lot of room for optimization there. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm, I, I'm really excited about that. Um, and what, uh, to add something on this, um, there is also a library called Vue Lazy Hydration that yeah. you can use on top of this. So Vue already um, knows the static trees. So if you have a title with only some text, uh, but Mark did a great uh, library called Vue Lazy Hydration that you can use and specify that this component uh, hydrate it only when it's visible in the viewport. So you can focus on hydrating only uh, the what is above the fold and lazy hydrate uh, when you scroll or even when the you have a mouse over event. So this is really, really great to improve this uh, Web Vitals score. Oh yeah, that that definitely that's definitely useful and very helpful. I mean, yeah, we've seen we actually did a very similar thing in the React world. Like uh, that component basically has been ported to React. It's very technically underneath the hood how it works is different, but conceptually it's the same. And and we saw, you know, doing PageSpeed Insights, you know, potentially 20, 30 point jump in your score. Uh, by cutting down total blocking time, time to interactive, by making things lazily hydrate. Um, so that's it's really cool. And just for folks out there who, who may not know that you, that functionality is available on React. So if you just search for it, basically somebody's ported it over. And it's a, a really interesting Easter egg in how it works. It's, it's almost a misuse of the React API yeah. to make it do that. Um, so somebody 
was a genius who figured that one out. Um, and uh, so Ishad, it might be worth talking about like, well, maybe just to take a step back and explain what hydration, you know, actually is um, and, and why people use it and, and why, um, why it matters as far as performance uh, with some of the metrics coming up from Google. So as you mentioned, you know, hydration is basically to make an app that's server-side rendered responsive once it gets onto the client. So if you click on a button or if you're doing anything that requires a, a JavaScript event listener, the hydration process is binding all those event listeners to the DOM so that the app is interactive. Um, and the idea behind server-side rendering and then hydration is that, well, you just get this static HTML coming down from, from the server and it loads very quickly. So the initial paint time for the page is nearly instantaneous if it's coming from a CDN's cache. And then there's this moment that no one's supposed to notice where the JavaScript is being parsed and executed and the event listeners are being bound and the DOM is being virtually re-rendered. Nothing actually changes as far as the user can see, but um, the app becomes interactive. And so there's a period of time where you see an app, but if you were to click on a button, nothing would happen because the event listeners aren't bound yet. And um, I've seen that referred to as like the magic trick or pulling the wool over the user's eyes um, because it's something that, that people probably don't notice. Uh, that being said, if your app has a lot of JavaScript or just takes a long time to hydrate because the rendering is complex, um, that can significantly hurt your score for some important metrics. Um, and so maybe I'll, I'll turn it over to Ishan to talk about those because I know that's a, a passion of yours and you're a real expert in that. Well, I, I think actually you, you described hydration pretty pretty succinctly um, and the challenges with that. I, I think, you know, the, I, I want to bubble it up to the top level for, for folks, which is, you know, Google is, is rolling out core of vitals uh, in, I guess, four months from now, five months from now, May 2021 is, is the schedule. And they are, they're at a high level, there are three metrics they're going to be tracking. One is a paint time performance, which is the largest contentful paint and server-side rendering will help you there. And then the other one is first input delay. And that's where the JavaScript, we as you know, framework you know, users and, and JavaScript heavy uh, meta framework users are throwing more and more JavaScript at the page and might actually be hurting ourselves in that metric, even if we're using server-side rendering, we might actually get better paint times and trading them off. And that's what makes this view three uh, improvement really exciting is we don't have to necessarily take that trade off. And then the, the last one is actually not really a performance metric. It's a user experience metric, which is the cumulative layout shift, um, which will be really interesting to see, uh, especially for single page apps, um, how they get treated with cumulative layout shift, which is really a, a metric that tries to measure how much the page jumps around while you're using it. Um, and we've been really vocal both on Twitter and blogs and directly to, to folks at Google uh, about, you know, if you're on a single page app, that cumulative layout shift, just the page never reloads. So according to that metric, it just keeps increasing and increasing. And that's actually the, my biggest other worry with Core of Vitals coming out in, in the next few months. But um, it feels like there's this trend of developers using more and more JavaScript and then Google and Core Vital saying, no, 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 watch out because you might be hurting performance. And, and that's why I'm really excited by what V3 has talked about. Um, so the idea is that, if I'm asked, the idea there is that Core Web Vitals is going to affect your, your page rank in Google. 
Um, that's correct, right? And that that's yeah. coming out when? That's that's May. That's May of 2021. Mm -hmm. And it's it's correct. It'll become so. In the past, Google has said that page speed is a ranking factor, and uh, but they were they weren't really precise about it. Now they're finally telling us exactly the metrics, how they're measuring it. Um, and and one thing that has to be appreciated is it's based on real user measurement. So it's not like they're running page speed insights and simulating your page. They're looking at the, the actual time it takes real users to load your site from anonymously reported users on both mobile and desktop who are using Chrome. And so this idea, like in the past, performance optimization was, hey, let's put a guy on it for a sprint, right? And uh, he'd try a thousand ideas, he'd throw them against the wall with page speed insights and he could iterate them. When you're optimizing core of vitals, it's kind of like an A-B test. You don't really know until you've put it live on real traffic yeah. and you've used some form of ROM to see whether it works. So I think that timing, even though it sounds like you know four or five months away, seems like a lot of time. I think people aren't realizing how much longer it's gonna take them because you've got to wait a while to see if your changes have impact. You can't try a thousand things in a few days and, and find out. Uh, but yeah, it'll definitely be affecting people's page rank and I think 20% or 25% of, uh, I have to double check the latest numbers of the of their sample set passes Core Web Vitals, which means three out of four websites do not pass Core Web Vitals right now. And I've been watching the graph of this. It has not gone upward. It stayed pretty much at three out of four. So there is definitely going to be an opportunity here for people to leapfrog their competitors if folks are caught off guard in, in May 2021. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing to, to add on top of the web vitals is we, we do have a module for Next, which is called Next.js slash web vitals that you can add to your project and start sending these web vitals from your uh, visitors to your Google Anal Analytics directly. So you can start gathering them. And we also have an integration with version analytics coming in the next weeks. Oh, that's very awesome. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, oh, go ahead, Mark. Well, one of the things that also was kind of changing last year, um, in addition to the announcement on Core Web Vitals, was was PageSpeed Insights. The the scoring there and the components of the score kind of got retooled and more weighted towards JavaScript, particularly around TBT, total blocking time, and time to interactive. Do you know if if there was any like discussion or rumors that those might be included in Core Web Vitals, more like the JavaScript bundle size and complexity type metrics? Uh, no. So and the so the official word is that so the reason I say no is because Core Web Vitals is purely based on real user measurements. So they only the trend they seem to be doing is focused on measurable user impact. So if by some way you had a large bundle size, but weren't executing it or it was really quick to parse. They don't care. They only really care about the impact to the users. Now, the problem you have is with PageSpeed Insights, which is a simulation and not a real user, they, they can't actually measure first input delay because first input delay is when the user taps on it. There's no user when you're using PageSpeed Insights. So they use things like total blocking time and time to interactive as proxies to indicate what your first input delay would be. But as, as we know from our work, that is not very well correlated. I actually went through and, and measured the TBT and the, 
the measured first input delay from Chrome user experience report for basically the IR500. And I graphed it out as a line and the correlation is not very good. It's loosely indicative, but it, it turns out it can definitely send you into a goose chase. You'll see a high TBT and you'll think your fit is bad and it turns out it may not be. So I'd always check your actual raw metrics before you focus on, on your Lighthouse scores. So there's, there's a, um, you know, there's a few different solutions to this large JavaScript bundle size going on in the community right now. And I think they're all fairly early stages. We talked about Vue and the automatic non-hydration of static components. Another one that got released, I think over the holidays, not released, but announced and, and talked about was React server components, which is a very different take, um, you know, appropriately so that's, you know, uh, cater towards React strengths and weaknesses. Um, the idea being that some components will always just render on the server, not just for the initial server-side rendering, but if those components need to be updated with new props and re-rendered, that actually is a asynchronous call to the server. The server does a new rendering and then sends the low-level virtual DOM diff basically back to the client. And so that those server-side components don't need to be included in the JavaScript bundle at all. So it makes the bundle smaller it puts a lot more load on your servers, I think, because if you actually put in a component that's quite dynamic, that could be a runaway train, but you know, that's for future generations to figure out, I suppose. Um, and that, that's still pre-release and just being mostly talked about as an idea with a, a very nice proof of concept. I wonder if you, if you had any take on that, Sebastian, how much you followed that um, and whether or not it's applicable at all to the view world or the Nux world. Uh, that's... I didn't look too much into this because we have a lot of work currently uh, into the implementation of U3 as well as Vite to, to improve the developer experience um, on the build time and um, also the build output that will be also minimized. Um, what I, I like about server components is the ability to, to do A-B testing on the server side and only send the Let's say you want to display a slider on one page and um, on one branch and another one, you, you don't want to use a slider. Um, you don't want to put this slider component into the, the whole bundle and you want to only include it for this specific uh, user. So minimizing the bundle. I think this has a use case, but like you said, it will, uh, you will have to pay for a server to do this. So uh, this is, from my point of view, this is micro optimization and there is already room to improve without talking about this uh, really small uh, improve, uh, improvement. Uh, I may be wrong, I didn't look too much into this, so I may uh, miss some, some of this uh, optimization. What I'm thinking of and I've been exploring with Puya recently is the ability to flag uh, some, some CSS or components to be, okay, this is for mobile only and this is for desktop or, also, maybe this CSS is for right to left and this one for left to right. And the ability to split, split this CSS, so doing cost-splitting for CSS, but based on media query. So only saying that this CSS will be splitted and added as a link into the header and specifying the media. So this way, the browser will only download the CSS for mobile if you coming from a mobile. And I think this as a bigger improvement because we all use CSS and it can get bloated quite fast compared to this micro optimization. So we will wow. focus maybe more on this than the server component for now. It's really interesting. 
Okay, cool. Let's see React take on this. <laughs> <laughs> I like the challenge. Yeah. So we're we're coming up almost on time here. Um, what should you know Nuxt users be looking forward to in the future that you want to mention? I think we've talked about. We just talked about something that's very interesting on the, the splitting of CSS. There's obviously the, the serverless module. Is there anything else you want to uh, hint about that folks should be you know, uh, on the lookout for? Yeah, so <clears throat> quickly to, to spoil a little bit, we're going to have a brand new website coming with a, a new logo, uh, a new documentation, which has been uh, written for next three. Uh, we will have next three, uh, which is already upgraded to Webpack 5. We're also working for module federation, so you can have multiple apps uh, without uh, having a big bundle. So being able to split uh, your app into multiple apps. We already um, we are already experimenting with the Vite. So the developer experience is really, really amazing. So you start next and it's just instant. And you have this, uh, we leverage the type module of the browser directly. That's what Vite is doing. I know Snowpack is also doing this. Um, so we have the possibility to use Webpack 5 or Vite. Uh, so we are keeping Webpack because they're also doing great improvements. So we have big performances improvement. We have this uh, image module coming, uh, reducing this layout shift for the web vitals. So we're working with the Chrome team to launch a demo, which will be called Next Movies. Uh, beautiful, beautiful demo using Next Image. So Next 3, a lot of performances improvement, a new way to do data fetching. And I am really, really happy about this because you will be able to do data fetching on the component level and being able to say, okay, this component should block the client side navigation. So until this component has fetched his data, data, you will uh, show a progress bar uh, a la YouTube. Or you can say, okay, no, this component, I don't care. I will display a placeholder to the data fetching and display it. And this also leverage uh, the view composable API, like uh, uh, React hooks. So it will be reactive on props change. So data fetching will be really, really sexy, uh, including this uh, Nitro module, Nitro engine to support serverless and support service workers. So we have been able to do server-side rendering inside a GitHub page. So full static website doing server-side rendering, which is quite crazy, uh, based on the service worker. And plenty, plenty of good news. But next three will be the biggest, biggest release coming in a few months. I would say two months for the first alpha and the first demo in one month. Wow, that's a lot to look forward to. That sounds really interesting. Uh, I wish we weren't out of time. I, I'd be really curious, especially about the, the server-side rendering with the service worker that you were talking about. Uh, we'll have to have you back again uh, when that all comes out to walk us through it. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. With pleasure. Okay, well, great. Thank you for, for joining us uh, today. And we look forward to having you back in a few months then to show that off. Thank you for inviting Thanks. me. Thanks, Sebastian. See you later. See you guys.